flown as our cornerstone. Uh, but man, we walk out the doors and it is so easy to get caught up in the things of this world. It's easy to get caught up. And it's amazing some of the things that people find themselves uh, running after and chasing after. So we've run a series on Ecclesiastes that is helping us to be able to focus on God. We're continuing a series through Ecclesiastes. We've been looking at uh, the power for daily living. Is that me? I don't know what to do about it. It's going to be a long morning. <laughs> you want to run a different uh, headset up? Let's keep going. Pastor Dan was uh, out last week, and uh, so I'm going to be looking at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7 with you this morning. And let me start by asking uh, you this question. How many of you heard that the the Bible is the roadmap uh, for living? Has anybody heard that? That's good. It's true. The Bible is the roadmap um, for living. But embedded in that idea is uh, the idea that you know where you're wanting to go, right? I mean, my family and I are planning a family vacation this summer, and we've opened up the map. Uh, to get the directions, and uh, what's the first question we have to ask? Where do we want to go? And so uh, where do we want to go, and how are we going to get there? There's a destination, and then how we're going um, to get there. And embedded within Christianity are those same two questions. Where do we want to go, and how we're going to get there? Our destination is heaven. That's where we're going. And how we're going to get there is through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But the Christian life is not just about heaven. It's about uh, the reality of who we are in Christ um, today as well. So we want to take a look at that uh, this morning. It's bounced on my cheek. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> it's still bouncing on my cheek. Power for daily living. <laughs> about power for right now. <laughs> don't, don't touch. Don't move. Okay. <laughs> I need more power. <laughs> you know, the Bible is filled with biblical truth. And so uh, we want to look at that this morning. But uh, it's not just the truths that we want to look at. We want to look at what we do with those truths. I mean, maybe you've been asked this question. Maybe you've asked people this question. How many have heard the question, uh, where are you going to go after you die? Just raise your hand. A lot of people have heard that question, right? It gets asked a lot within Christian circles, but I want to ask you another question this morning because statistically, you're going to wake up in the morning. And so this morning, I want to ask you, if you wake up tomorrow morning, what are you going to do with your life? That's just as equally as an important question because we're not all just sitting around waiting for heaven. Jesus says that he came so we could have life and we could have it to the full. We could have it right now. And so that's a wisdom issue. There's these biblical truths throughout Scripture, but we want to look at what to do with those truths. You see, there is no shortage of truth. We have that down. If I have a question, if I don't know it, I can go to Google and with a matter of seconds get any question answered in nanoseconds. But the real issue is, is what are we going to do with that truth once we find it? And that's what wisdom is all about. What do we do with our knowledge? We know what we should be doing, but are we wise and are we doing it? We know what we should do with our time. We should be spending time with our family, time with God. But if you look at, if you look at the Christian life or the life outside of the Christian world, we are consumed with spending our time with our jobs, 
You think about how much time spent watching TV on the computer, playing games. The reality of the fact is, is even though we know what we should do with our time, we do the exact opposite. That's foolishness, according to Solomon. We know what we should do with our money, but the reality of the situation is, even within Christian circles, that God does not have his rightful place in our finances. And so that is foolishness. It's a wisdom issue. We know what we should do with our kids. They're important. We should be spending time with them. We should be investing them. We should be training them up. But the fact of the matter is, is that we end up pushing them into sports during school. We spend very little time together with our family. That's foolishness. Our jobs are God's provision for us. That's how God provides for our family. Our jobs have their proper place. But what do we do? We work on our careers. And our jobs actually are supposed to be supporting our family. And instead they're pulling us away from them because we're focused on our career path. Or sharing our faith. We are God's witnesses. The Holy Spirit comes on us and empowers us to be his witnesses. But the fact of the matter is, is most people don't share their faith. They don't know how, and they don't take time to invest in how to do that. And so what we're going to find in Ecclesiastes as we go through this chapter this morning is Solomon is comparing two types of people. There's wise people and the foolish people. And in chapter 7, he shares with us from his experience lessons that he has learned and about how we are to live wisely. A wise person will hear these truths and apply them to a life. A fool will not. That's what Jesus points us to in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is walking around throughout Galilee. Um, he's teaching on various topics. He does the Beatitudes. He talks about the law, murder, loving our enemies, giving, prayer, and fasting. He does all this great teaching. And then he says in Matthew chapter 7, he summarizes this with this. He summarizes with a, an illustration about the wise and the foolish. He says, everyone who has heard me and puts what I'm teaching into practice, he's like a wise man who built this house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew. They beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it's had its foundation on the rock. It was a life that was built on him and his word. That is wise. And then he contrasts that with a foolish person. He goes on to say this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The sand is the world. Oh. Keep going. <laughs> And so the sand is the things of this world. You know, when, when we put our trust in something else other than him, when the rains come down, the streams rise, the winds blow against the house, it's going to fall with a great crash. And right now there are lives, marriages, families that are falling with a great crash because they have built their lives up on something else than wisdom. And you know what's interesting about this is when, when, whether we're wise or foolish, you know, whether a person is wise or foolish, we all have storms in life. Being wise does not mean we're not going to have hardship, that we're not going to have suffering, that we're not going to have pain, we're not going to have difficulty and struggles. Wisdom does not mean a lack of problems. Just because we have our faith in Him doesn't mean all the problems go away. What wisdom does do, though, is when we do have problems, we know how to get through them because our hope is built on nothing less. Fools don't know what to do when trials and troubles come their way. They don't learn they don't grow. They don't learn from their experiences. And they have a minimal impact on, on God and, and his kingdom. And so as we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 this morning, we're going to be looking at some lessons that Solomon gives us for how to live wisely. And if you brought your Bible with you, um, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to read through this um, passage together. And on the inside of your program, you have an insert. And uh, I want to encourage you this morning um, to take some notes as we're as we're going through this time together, I want to ask you to think about 
what is God going to give you to help you to live wisely? And so um, on the inside of your program, that, there's that insert. If you don't have a pen, um, you can share with the person next to you. Or rather, um, if you don't have a pen, raise your hand quickly, and our ushers in the back, they'll bring you a pen. Uh, but I want to encourage you with our time together uh, this morning is as you're hearing things, you know, think about what you want to put into practice. Write some things down. You know, if anything, put your name down. Put an X. You know, uh, at least, you know, I heard something. Or, you know, write down a passage. Maybe write down something that God gave you this morning because we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. And God has something um, for you this morning in this message. And so as we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we're going to begin reading with um, verse 1. Solomon says this, A good name is better than fine perfume. The day of our death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting for death is the destiny of all man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like a crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise man to a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of the matter is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoking your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask us questions. Wisdom is like an inheritance. It's a good thing, and it benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter. Money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. And so I want to stop there for a moment, and we want to look at some of the lessons that we can glean from Solomon as he teaches and contrasts these two different types of lives, the wise and the fool. And it's a vantage point that he gives us as he steps back and looks at these two things from above. I had a friend of mine, uh, John Pushbaraj, and I went to Uganda. Uh, we were down, uh, uh, there's an there's a, there's a AIDS orphanage that we were working with. There's AIDS kills everywhere. These kids were all um, uh, victims. Their parents had died. Uh, we were working in this orphanage, and the despair that was there was just overwhelming. And then that night we went to a church, and we prayed. it was an eight-hour worship service, and we were praising God. And, and, you know, as I was on the ground, I wasn't really able to fully appreciate these things. It wasn't until the next morning I got up. It was 4.30. The sunrise was coming up. It was a golden sky. I was looking down into this big valley, looking down and reflecting on those two experiences. And I thought, wow, what a contrast. And that's what Solomon does for us as he goes through Ecclesiastes. He looks back on his life, he looks at his vantage point from up high, and he shares with us the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Solomon, for our benefit, is going to share us with us, this is what I've learned about being wise and being foolish. And he begins with uh, verse 1. He says, a good name is better than fine perfume. In other words, our reputation is more important than wealth. Who's the, who's the richest man in the world right now today? Does anybody know that? The richest man in the world. Okay, how about, let me ask you another question. Can you name a lady who that in her poverty had a great impact on countries, impacted thousands of lives, and she recently died? Can anybody think of maybe a lady in that regard? Yeah, hands start to go up. How about this picture? Does this help? Who's down in the bottom right? Mother Teresa. Who's up in the top left? Does anybody know his name? Does that picture help? Who is it? Yeah. Okay, so we got one person. Carlos Slim, worth $80 billion. 
versus Mother Teresa. And so when you think about a good name, who do people remember? Who has the most impact? A good name is better than your job and how much money you have. And so this morning I want to ask you, how do you want to be remembered? If you were going to ask the person next to you to summarize your reputation, what would they say? How is it that you want others to see yourself? To ask that question is wisdom. To ask, how do I want to be remembered, is wisdom. And then Solomon goes on to say this, the day of death is better than the day of birth. The house of mourning better than the house of feasting. Death is the destiny for all. You know, when you think about that passage, you know, basically what he says is, you know, your funeral is better than your birthday. You know, I was really, as I was processing through that passage this past week, um, I've shared this with uh, uh, some of you, and uh, but my mom, well, we moved up here three years ago. She's got a, a disease called um, inclusion body mitosis, and so she's losing muscular control. And, um, and you know, she's been in independent living. We're doing assisted living. This past week we had to have a conversation with her about what's next because she can no longer stand up. She can't get up. She's in and out of the, she can't get out of bed. She can't lift her arms. And so it was interesting because the doctor said, you know, if it wasn't for this disease, you'd be in perfect health. Her mind's sharp, but her body is wasting away. And as I was processing through last week with her what to do about this, um, it just kind of hit her. And she sat back in her chair during her conversations and she said to me, she said, this is it. This is how I'm going to die. You know, and the reality of that situation was, was such that we had to process through that together as a family. And it's wise to ask that question, how do I deal with this issue? It's folly to think that you're going to live forever. To step back and ask, how do I want to be remembered? How do, how does, where am I going? It's an important question. And so my mom and I were able to process through the hope that she has in heaven. We're able to process through what God has for her while she's here. But this really focuses us on where we're going to go. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 10, Peter writes this. You know, once you were not a people of God, before you were a believer, you were not a people of God. But now you are. You've been called into a relationship with Christ. Once you have had not received mercy, but now you have received it. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. You know, are our hearts and minds on heaven? Where is your home? You know, sometimes I drive by a church and I'll say, you know, welcome home or come home. And I'm thinking, you know, this is not our home. You know, we are temporary here. We are not going to live forever. This is a temporary life. That's what he says, the psalmist says, it's wise, it's the destiny of all mankind that we're all going to die. And so where are we going to spend eternity and what are we going to do with our life here are wise questions. Are you living life as an alien? I looked up the, uh, just going to try and find a picture of an alien. There were scary pictures of the alien because of the movie. But, you know, do we live like E.T.? I never saw that movie. I heard good things about it. But how many of you have seen that? Yeah, okay. It's still relevant today then, right? That movie's got some staying power. I think it was back in the 80s. But, you know, the premise is, you know, he lands on Earth and he's trying to get home. E.T., find home. That was the whole premise of the whole movie. It was an alien. This was not his home. He was trying to get home. In fact, he stood out. They couldn't hide him. People were trying to search him down. And so, are you an alien? Is this world not your home? Or do you just blend in with the crowd? I mean, when you look out over 10,000 people, do you stand out? Do you recognize that this world is not your home? And are you confident about where you're heading? In the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, uh, verse 23, Paul writes this. Paul's torn between the two. He desires to depart and be with Christ, which is better, 
by far, but it's necessary for you that I remain here in the body. And so there's this tension of the fact that this world is not our home, our hope is on heaven, but we also have something to accomplish here. And so there's this tension between doing both. And Paul says, look, whatever that tension is, keep your eyes focused on where you're headed. You know, when you're born, you get a name. When you die, your name summarizes your reputation in your life. You know, it is, your name is all summarized uh, in death. And so when we're reminded of where our real homes are, Solomon says that is a wise thing to do. Our funerals fun? No way. They are painful. They're a time of mourning. They're a time of remembrance. We can celebrate a person's life, but there is sadness because we have lost somebody that's close to us. A funeral is for a time of mourning, but it's also at a funeral that God is able to get our undivided attention. Because at a funeral, everybody there is thinking the same thing. My time is limited. Psalm 90.10 says, number your days. We're here temporarily. Funerals serve a place. It is better to mourn than to go about life as a fool, not contemplating where you're headed. And mourning is an important, there's blessing that comes from mourning. In fact, Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who mourn. And so this process of mourning is something that Solomon says is a wise thing to do. Don't go through life caught up as a fool. Think about your days. They're numbered. And then he says sorrow is better than laughter. You know, a sad face is good for the heart. There's wisdom in mourning. There's foolishness in pleasure. And so this morning, as you think about, you know, your life and when circumstances get tough, what do you do with those things? When you're mourning or going through a difficult time, do you retreat? Do you lash out? Do you turn to substance abuse? Do you turn to behaviors that mask your pain? People turn to some of the strangest things when they're going through pain. And until we can stop and embrace that and really think about, well, what does God have through us through our mourning, then we're doing foolish activities. Now, there are things that we can do in our life that are going to provide short-term relief, relief maybe their pleasure. Those things are foolish. Wisdom is found when we're able to step back and embrace what's causing us pain. And we can turn to a loving Father who cares for us, loves us, and has a plan for our lives. And so Solomon gives us these contrasts between wisdom and foolish and some of these behaviors. And so as you think through that, what does that look like in your life? You know, Solomon would go on to say in verses 5 through 12, a wise man's rebuke is better than the song of fools. Now, I'm always amazed when people ask for advice uh, and then they don't take it. It's like, well, what would you ask for? You know, I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm guilty of that as well. You know, in general, you know what? We all like to seek out people and we like to, to hear answers that reinforce what we're already thinking. Nobody really likes to be rebuked. Uh, but Solomon says, hey, look, find some people around you that can speak truth into your life. In Proverbs 15:22, he writes this, plans fail because of a lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. Be intentional about surrounding yourself with people that will speak truth into your life. That is wisdom. A wise man, a wise woman, seeks out people that speak truth to their life, that will rebuke them when they need to be rebuked, or that will tell them truth when they need to hear it. I remember one Sunday I'd cut myself, and there was blood running down my neck, it was all over my shirt, and I was talking to people, and you know, people would look at me funny, but finally one, of them, one guy came up and said, dude, you're bleeding, there's blood all over us. Oh, man, it's nasty. And I was like, you know, do you, do you surround yourself with people that are going to tell you, hey, you got some schmutz on your face, or people are going to tell you, hey, look, man, you know, what you're doing and what you're, how you're talking right there, that's, that's probably not a wise thing to do. It's wisdom to seek out people that will speak 
truth to you. You know, who has your back? Who has your back? You know, Solomon says that if you have a wise friend that speaks truth to you, that that is wisdom. To not do that is foolishness. He goes on to say that extortion turns a wise man into a fool, a bribe corrupts the heart. You know, the Christian life is a process. You know, I know in my own life, I made a faith commitment, and I was thinking, okay, God, change everything. (laughs) I try to circumvent. It's like, can't this move along a little faster? You know, the Christian life is a process. There are no shortcuts. Extortion and bribery are foolishness. But many people try to to do that exact same thing with, with God. They say, God, well, if you do this, then I'll do this. And so that's bribery. You know, there's a uh, movie, Burt Reynolds was in a movie called The End. Has anybody seen the movie The End? That is a funny movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a good one to check out. But uh, the premise is, is that he wants to end his life, and he's swimming out in the middle of the ocean. He gets out there in the middle, and then he changes his mind. And so he starts to panic. He goes, he's, he, in the middle of the scene, he, goes, he, he comes up out of the water and he goes, I want to live! God, please save me! And so in the middle of this, this tragic event going on in his life, he turns to God and he starts swimming towards the beach. And he goes, God, just please make me a better swimmer. He goes, if you save me, I'll be a, I'll be a better father. I'll be a better husband. He starts getting closer to the shore. He goes, God, just help me get to the shore. I'll give you all my money. You know, he's, he's swimming and swimming. He gets about halfway there and he starts looking around and he, He's like, and then God, um, he goes, change my daughter's heart as well, you know, because it's not all me. And, and my wife, you know, could you change her too? And then he gets a little closer to the shore and he goes, well, you know, I don't think you need all my money. Do you think a half would be okay? God, just get me to the shore and I'll give you half. And he gets to the beach and he stands up. And he's thinking half. He goes, that's a lot of money. He goes, how about 10%? And so he gets up and he's kind of drying off and he says, uh, he goes, actually, God, you probably don't need my money at all. He goes, how about this? How about if I throw up? Uh, in the air, all my money, and you keep what you want, and I'll keep the rest of Instagram. But so many times we bribe God. When we're in distress, when there's things going on in our life, that's exactly what we do. We bribe God. You know, they say, you know, if you do this, I'll do that. You know, we don't need to bribe God. It's foolishness to do that. It's wisdom to say, God, I am stuck. I need your help. And that's what a wise man does. He, he doesn't try to extort. He doesn't try to bribe. He finds a security in knowing that God is in control as he thinks about his past and his future. And he goes on to say, look, don't get stuck in your past. You know, because that is foolishness as well. Many people will get stuck in their past. Well, I trusted God once, and this is what happened to me. You know, if you say that, that is not wise. It is foolish. People get stuck in their past. It's difficult to forgive. Can we forgive? Yes, as Christ forgave us. Solomon says, wisdom does not get stuck in the past. Wisdom is an inheritance. It's something that's forward-looking. We have something to look forward to. It's a shelter. You know, it's like money. Money, it, Money's not a problem. It's the love of money that's a problem. God gives us money to provide for us. And so there's that sense that wisdom and the way God provides for us is a shelter. You know, wisdom preserves life. And so if we focus on those things, we focus on God being in control. If we're not stuck in our past, that is a wise person. That is what is better. A wise person knows that God's plans are better than our plans. And that's exactly what Solomon will continue to write as he continues on with verse um, 13. So let's turn to Ecclesiastes 13. Let's read down through verse 18. He says this in verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. A man cannot discover anything about his future. Which one of you can add a day to your number? God 
has the future under control. We don't need to worry about that. It's meaningless life. And this meaningless life of me, I've seen both sides. I've seen a righteous man that's perishing in his righteousness, who is trying to do things in his own strength and on his own way. That's foolishness. A wicked man living long in his wickedness. Don't be over-righteous. Neither be over-wise. Why uh, destroy yourself? Do not be over-crooked. Do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. You know, a wise person knows that we don't see the big picture. There's knowledge that God has that we don't have. Some things we're not going to know until Christ returns. In fact, Paul writes this in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the imperfect's going to disappear. You know, this is not a, an excuse to not do due diligence to answer questions. You know, I've seen this passage be abused. Well, we don't know that. You know, I don't know I need to do that. You know, there's some things we don't know. That's, that's not an excuse to, 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 to not study, to not look into finding an answer. But there are some things that we just don't know the answer to. You know, Joseph, the son of Jacob, when he was sold into slavery, you know, could not have known that God was going to use him in the end to rescue his people. Or you think about the disciples, when they're actually looking at the crucifixion, crucifixion of Jesus, did not know that it was going to result um, to salvation coming to God's people. In fact, Thomas, one of the disciples, was doubting the whole thing to the very end. And so there are some things that God reveals in, in his time. Paul didn't know that his being thrown into jail would give him the time necessary for God to use him to write four books of the New Testament. It is hard to wait on God. We want to be in control. We want answers now. We live in a consumer-driven, results-oriented culture. And we think it is all about us. The world would say, hey, look, well, you're in this problem, just work harder. Or you've got this problem, you know, do this. Or, you know, if this church isn't working, try this. I mean, it's all about you, 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 me, me, me. Our focus is on ourselves. And Solomon says that is foolish. It's foolishness to think that way. Wisdom stops and asks, okay, God, what do you have for me in this situation? What do you have for me right here, right now? I can tell you in my own life, this is something that I have struggled with the most because it's hard for us to sit and wait. It's hard for me to sit and wait. Especially for guys, I think there's a sense of, hey, we just need to do something. We're so action-oriented that we try to be in control of all things. And Solomon says that is foolish. We need to be able to step back and ask, what does God have for me in this circumstance in my life right now? Solomon uh, writes, beginning in uh, verse 20 uh, down through uh, 24, he says this, There's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your own heart that many times you have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom and said I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off uh, and most profound. Who can discover it. And so he's talking about his journey uh, that he goes on as he's discovering wisdom. He goes on to talk about all the things that he's discovered. And then in down verse 29 he says this at the end. This only have I found. God made man upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. In other words, we're trying to control things on our own. But it is in the end, God that's in control. God made man upright in his image, without blemish. Male and female, he created them. 
equal before God with separate roles. And then he says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or surely you will die. Well, guess what? We ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we will surely die. And so that is the plight that we find ourselves in. And so this morning, as we think about where our hope is and where our trust is, we need to remember that because of the condition we're in, God's got a plan for this, and it's in Christ. You know, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. And so in the end, the Christian life is a journey. And there are lessons that we have to learn as we are applying these biblical truths to our life. And so we are not perfect yet. We will be made perfect when Christ returns. But the Christian life is a journey. The Christian life is focused not on this world, but where our home is. And the wise people step back and they ask these questions and they answer these questions of their own life, and that makes them wise. The process of becoming wisdom is not about learning truth. It's a biblical knowledge that we all have. I was talking to somebody, you know, John 3.16, you know, or John 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, it's, you know, death entered into the world through one man, through Adam, through Christ, all are made alive. And so there's passages that we know. But the real question is this. What are you doing with that information? We don't have a lack of information. What we need is to start being wise with what we know. And that is a process. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being as good as the next guy, especially in the context of something like, you know, I was talking to somebody about a small group. Well, I can't lead a small group like that, or I'm not as good as you. Or it's like, look, it's not about that. It's not about comparing yourselves to other people. It's not about trying to be perfect. It's about accepting yourself and embracing God's grace and being focused on what God has for you. It is a journey. You know, wise people, wise people think about these things, and they answer these questions, and they evaluate their lives under the light of Scripture. And so this morning, when it comes to being wise or being foolish, with regard to what we've done with Christ, we are all either wise or foolish. In Psalms uh, 14, 1, uh, it says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, I don't need Christ. And so with regard to your relationship with Christ, you're either wise or foolish. So what have you done with Jesus Christ? If a person has not committed their life to Christ, if their security is not in Him, if they, are not, if they don't know where they are headed, then they are living a foolish life. Romans 10 says this in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so if you are on that foolish side this morning, if you have said in your heart, I don't know if there's a God, or you're questioning the reality, if you're not certain about where you are in Christ, and you want to move from being foolish to wise, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. A person crosses that line of foolishness versus wisdom based on what they've done with that passage. A lot of people will know that, but they haven't believed it in their heart. The greatest distance from in a man or a woman is from their head to their heart. We know things, but has it transformed our life? Have we confessed Jesus as our life? Have we identified with him through baptism? Are we using our spiritual gifts? Are we, are we living a faith out that's reflective of the fact that we really do trust in God? 
Are we aliens in this world? Or are we just like the next guy who says in his own heart, there is no God? In James chapter 2, beginning of verse 18, he writes this. Some of you have faith and have deeds. That's great. Show me your faith with, with deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God. Hey, good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish man. You want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Then he goes on to tell the story about Abraham, who in his righteousness not only believed God, but offered his son Isaac up as a sacrifice. And so it wasn't just something intellectually that he believed, but it it transpired and moved to his taking action. And God counted that to him as righteousness. It's foolishness to think that you and I can call ourselves Christians and then just sit back. It's wise to ask, how does my life reflect who I am in Christ? How does my life contribute to God's plan for what he has for me as an individual or us as the body of Christ? It's wise for us to ask, what do my deeds look like? And, and, and we could get really caught up on the deeds piece of that and be works-based. But it's not, you know, and so if you're trusting in, in your works, that's dead too. But our faith should lead to us living a life that's different than the people around us. And so I know with the deeds, you know, I think, um, you know, what God has for you to do and what God has for me to do are different. God's uniquely gifted us. We're all different. But we are all called to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. You know, at Springbrook, we have created different milestones or steps to try to help people to take those next steps on their spiritual journey. And so it's, you know, whether it's a faith commitment or baptism or membership or spiritual gifts or involvement in in small groups or involved as a leader or investing in the lives of others, we've created this pathway for people to help them grow. It's not about the step. And so when I talk to, you know, whether it's membership, why do I need to be a member? Well, you know, it's a faith step. It's not about the membership. It's about our surrendering ourselves to what God wants to do. And so deeds look different for everyone. Maybe God's calling you to share your faith with your with your coworker. You know, that's not one of the steps on our path. You know, maybe God's calling you to, um, you know, get involved in a small group. Maybe that is it. You know, our deeds all look different. Whatever your next step is, we want to help you with that. But we need to ask ourselves, how is my faith making a difference? A wise person asks that question. And so Solomon, as we go through Ecclesiastes, gives us several lessons that we have that we can learn from. And so hopefully this morning, as you heard these things, you know, you've jotted some things down. Don't be foolish. The exhortation at the beginning from Jesus was, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. And so hopefully you've had an opportunity to write something on your insert. I want to encourage you um, maybe to talk to the person next to you, talk to, talk to your spouse, talk to a friend, go back to your small group, talk about these things. What does this look like in your life? That makes you, and puts you in the category of being wise. You know, if you have any questions about how to take a next step or how to grow in your faith, you know, I'd love the opportunity to talk with you. There's a, a welcome slip on the inside of your program. You can put your name on there. On the back of that, it's got some next steps. If you have any questions about what you've heard this morning, be intentional about finding answers. Take that next step. Let's not just be doers of the word or hearers of the word, but let's just be doers. Let's don't be doers either. But, you know, let's do both of those things. And so as we kind of close our time together this morning, I want to just pray that God would continue to Soften our hearts towards those things that are important to him. If God can capture the heart of our man and the woman, it changes their life, it changes their family, it changes our church, it changes our community. So let's pray that God would captivate our hearts for his glory. Would you pray with me? 
Father, I just thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you for the life-transforming power of your word. God, uh, I have experienced that myself. I've seen it in the lives of others, and I love Solomon's story as he steps back and reflects on the lessons that he's learned. And God, as we read your word, as we talk to you in prayer, I just pray that our relationship with you would grow. Just thank you for our opportunity to come together this morning. I pray that uh, we are encouraged and that we're drawn closer to you. God, capture our hearts for your plans and your purposes. God, help us to be aliens in this world and to recognize that this world is not our home. God, I just want to thank you for each person here this morning and pray that you would continue to draw us each closer to yourself. We lift our lives up to you for your glory. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Rich, for unpacking the wisdom in Ecclesiastes. It's so good to have you at Springbrook uh, today. I ask you to take out your programs. And as Pastor Rich mentioned, uh, to rip off uh, the communication slip. And if you're our guest today, it's so good to have you. Uh, fill out as much information as you feel comfortable. If you're a regular attender, just put the names of the adults that are attending from your family. Put down any prayer uh, requests. Uh, I want to make a uh, significant uh, announcement about our weekend worship services. Our elders have decided uh, to discontinue our Saturday night service that we've had for six years now. It's been a wonderful ride. At the same time, in the last year, there's been a decrease in attendance. And uh, when you get to a certain point in attendance, there isn't the same energy that you need in the room to make it feel like a full worship service. So it's a tough decision. I enjoy the Saturday night service, uh, but at the same time, we, we felt that it was best uh, for our congregation. So our last Saturday night service will be Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday weekend, that is. And uh, then on Easter Sunday, we will not have, our uh, Easter weekend, that is, we'll not have a Saturday uh, night service. If you have any questions about that, feel free to come up and talk with me or Pastor Rich or uh, anybody else who you think might be in the know, and uh, we would love to fill you in on that and answer your questions. But we are looking forward to Easter. Oh, I tell you, Easter is going to be a real celebration here 